Well, uh, good morning. Uh, this, is, this is so much fun to be here. This is my first time here at uh, Midtown on Sunday morning, and it is exciting to see everybody and to hear the worship and to hear the kids, like Samuel was saying. That was just really fun to, to be a part of. Um, like you said, my name is Marty Scott, and a little bit about me. I am married to Andrea, and I have three kids, Andrew, Jonah, and Bennett, who are 11, 9, and 7. And Andrea and I have been married for 16 years this summer, which uh, that means that this week is the 16-year anniversary of me proposing to her. You see, it was Valentine's week, and I wanted to surprise her with our proposal, and so I told her, hey, why don't we get all dressed up for Valentine's Day and go a few days early, um, and, and that way we can celebrate Valentine's Day and not have to worry about the crowds. So we were able to get all dressed up, and I was able to surprise her with actually proposing to her. And, and this is kind of a common thing that you see in proposals a lot of times, right, is I'll sit down with a couple that uh, they just got engaged, and they'll start walking through their proposal and the guy will be like, oh man, it was a total surprise. She had no idea it was coming. And then we start flipping through pictures. And you begin to notice that her nails are perfectly manicured. And her hair's all done nice. And she's wearing her nicest dress. And you just kind of look at him and you're like, brother, you didn't surprise her. She knew this moment was coming right? The reality is she has been anticipating this proposal. She's been anticipating this proposal for days and weeks and, and maybe even months. And so possibly she spent like every Friday for the last month getting her nails done and getting her hair ready just in case this weekend is the weekend that he pops the question. This is what we do when we see something major coming. When we know that something big is about to happen, we prepare ourselves. We get ourselves ready. We do this with engagement, but we also do this with weddings. There's a, a billion-dollar wedding industry out there uh, where people go to venues and they get cakes and they taste all those things. They try on dresses and tuxes, and they do all of this work to prepare for this great moment in their lives. We do this with kids as well. When that firstborn is coming, we go through all this work to prepare for this baby. So we have baby showers, we have birth classes, and then we spend all this time getting their room ready and painting it and getting all this new furniture so that we're ready for when the baby comes. The second child, you do a little less. And by the third child, you're just sticking them somewhere uh, that they fit, right? Like there's some spare space in that room. Uh, that's where you go. But at least for that first child, that major moment, we prepare ourselves. And then I think about what does this look like spiritually? What does it look like for us to be prepared spiritually? And what I think is, is oftentimes the reality is that we fall into this place of spiritual contentment where we stop seeing God's invitation to come and see we stop seeing God's invitation to follow me as a big deal. We begin to be content with where we're at, and we don't realize that when God says, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing, I want you to be a part of the reconciliation and redemption of the world, 
that that is something huge that we're being invited into. Engagement is great. Marriage is wonderful. Having kids is fantastic. But it is incredible that the God of the universe would say, I want you to participate in my great work. I want you to come alongside of me and experience abundant life, experience eternal life as you step in to what I have for you. And so what I wanna do this morning is look at what it looks like for us to prepare to come and see. What does it look like for us to prepare our hearts and our minds to be a part of what God is doing through Jesus Christ? I believe this is what John is doing in John 1. John 1 is meant to prepare us for John 2 through 21. John 2 through 21 is gonna walk us through the life of Jesus, all of the things that he did, his victory on the cross, eternal life, abundant life. It's gonna walk us through all of that. And John 1 is meant to prepare our hearts and our minds to experience that and walk in that. And so this morning, as we walk through John 1, we're going to look at John 1, 43 through 51 and see what it is that John wants us to prepare for and how we prepare for that. So as you open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John 1. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through uh, John 1, 43 through 51, and I'm going to kind of work through it first. And then we're going to look at what I think are the major points that John is trying to present to us. But first, I'm going to go back and kind of review a little bit of where we've been in John 1. So if you go back to verse 19, we have John the Baptist. And a few weeks ago, I talked about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and this is the beginning of the narrative of the life of Jesus. And John comes in and he says, uh, I am the one who's making straight the way of the Lord. I'm preparing you all for the coming of someone who is greater than I am. And so all these people start coming down to where John is. All these people start showing up and he's baptizing people in the water and he's talking about this coming Messiah who's going to be greater than he is. And all these people start to ask, okay, who is it? When is he going to come? What is this going to look like? And John just keeps saying, wait, wait, he's coming. And then the next day it says, Jesus walks up. And John looks over and he proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God. And presumably all his followers do that. They behold the Lamb of God. They behold Jesus. And they begin to ask questions. Is this him? So then we get the next day. And again, John's followers are gathered around him And once again, he points to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And now Andrew comes up. He says, Rabbi, who are you? And uh, and he says, come and you will see. And it's this invitation to come and experience Jesus. And Andrew immediately turns around and he grabs Peter. He said, Peter, this is him. This is the Messiah who we've been looking for. So now both of those guys are following along. And that's when we get to... uh, our verses today. Verse 43. Verse 43 is going to introduce a new person, and this is Philip. And it says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. That's a little parenthetical there that Philip was from Bethsaida. It's to show that um, presumably 
Philip showed up with Andrew and Peter. They are at least acquaintances. They're coming from a smaller town. They're at least acquaintances. Maybe they're friends, and they probably showed up together. So when Andrew and Peter are like, okay, we're going to follow this. This is the Messiah. Philip is probably hearing about this and learning or hearing from them who this guy is. And so Jesus turns to Philip, and he says, uh, follow me. And we get Philip in the next verses, his immediate response. We actually don't see what he says to Jesus. Maybe he's so excited he doesn't say anything to Jesus. What we get is that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. So Philip's immediate response is not even to say, okay, Jesus, or at least if he did that, we don't have it recorded. His immediate response was to run and find Nathaniel and bring him along to see. Again, most likely because these guys have been searching and anticipating and preparing to get together for the Messiah. And Nathaniel's response is quite sassy. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. This is the first difficult line of this passage. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And there's a couple views as to what Nathaniel's saying here. First is Nathaniel might just really not like Nazareth. He might be saying, ew, yuck, Nazareth. Okay? The other option is that Nathaniel has these expectations for who the Messiah would be. He's built up this view that this Messiah is going to come in and he's going to conquer and he's going to save and he's going to rescue them from oppression and he's going to do this out of Jerusalem. So what does Nazareth, Nazareth have anything to do with this? And he has expectations and Philip's coming along and presenting something that's different. To illustrate this, more than likely, when I said, uh, "Come, can anything good come out of Nazareth? More than likely, a lot of you thought about Waco, right? Um, if, if you are from Waco, uh, I would like to apologize. The next two minutes are going to be painful, and you can come and talk to me afterwards. But I came to A&M from 2002 to 2006. The Aggies were in the Big 12, and we did not like Baylor. Uh, we didn't care if we beat Baylor because we were expected to, but heaven forbid if we lost to Baylor. Uh, and so we didn't like Baylor, and therefore we didn't like anything associated with Baylor, and that includes Waco. And, uh, and so what happened then is uh, six years ago for my 10th anniversary, we had done a number of things that year already, and Andrea and I decided uh, that for our 10th anniversary, we would drive to Waco and spend the day in Waco seeing the silos and Magnolia and all those different things in Waco. And I very distinctly remember driving into Waco. And as we're pulling into the city, I looked at Andrea and I just said, if somebody had told me 10 years ago on our wedding day that we would spend our 10th anniversary in Waco, I would have asked what happened. Like, what went wrong that this is what we're doing? That is that you yuck perspective of Nazareth, right? What went wrong? The other view would be this. If I told you that I could say with 100% certainty that I knew that the next president of the United States 
is from Waco and he's a shop owner there in Waco, you'd probably think I was crazy, right? The next president, he lives in Waco. He runs a little shop there. That's who he is. You'd think I'm crazy because we have expectations built up of who the president should be and and what the president does and, and where he comes from. And that does not go with shop owner in Waco. Those things don't go together. And I think this is probably Nathaniel's perspective. He has expectations and there's a little bit of reality and he's having a hard time bringing those two things together. Philip's response is perfect though. Come and see. Philip is convinced if you experience him, if you hear him, that's all you need to know. And so we move on, verse 47. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. What I think this is is saying, what Jesus is telling Nathanael is he knows Nathanael. He knows his thoughts. He knows his heart. And what has Nathanael just done? Nathanael has expectations, and he's presented with something that's different than his expectations. Instead of saying, no, I'm good. Instead of doing that, Nathaniel says, all right, I'm willing to hear truth. I'm willing to see if this is true. And instead of uh, living in the deceit of his expectations, he's willing to step out and hear something else that's different than what he expected to see if it might be true. And so Nathaniel approaches Jesus. He walks towards Jesus And he gets there and he says, uh, again, Jesus says this, and Nathanael asks, how do you know me? How do you actually know this is true about me? And Jesus looks at him and answers him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Wow. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. It's profound. It's so profound, we have no idea what he's talking about. Um... I read a number of commentaries, and any commentary that talked about this verse, it was just like, hey, we don't know. We're just, we have guesses. We think maybe it could be this, or maybe it could be that, but we really don't clearly know what it is Jesus is saying here. He might be saying, you know, Philip might have been, or Nathaniel might have been sitting under a a fig tree and Nathaniel could look out and he knew that nobody ever saw him. He knew that nobody ever came near the fig tree. And so Nathaniel knew he was alone. And therefore, when Jesus says he saw him, he's like, there's no way he saw me. Therefore, this must be prophetic. That's one option. A second option could be that um, while Nathaniel was under the fig tree, he was meditating on the Messiah. He was meditating on messianic passages like Psalm 2, and he was thinking through and praying for the coming of the Messiah. So that when Jesus walks up and he says, I saw you under the fig tree, what he's saying is, I know what you're looking for. I know what you're hoping for, what you're preparing for, and that's me. The third option is that in the Old Testament, in Micah and Isaiah, a fig tree is used as kind of a messi- uh, the messianic kingdom. And it talks about how um, in that kingdom, we are going to sit and rest under our own fig trees. And the idea, 
idea there is that we're able to live in security and prosperity and enjoy the work of our labor without fear and without pain and those sort of things. And so when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, it's code word for that's me. We don't really know what it means, I saw you under the fig tree. Um, We just have some options. But what we do know is that what it seems to be doing is Jesus is presenting something to Nathaniel that he shouldn't know. Jesus shouldn't or couldn't have known something. And when he says this, Philip recognizes, oh, this is prophetic. We know this mainly because Philip or Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Philip proclaims, you are the Messiah as soon as Jesus says this to him. So something about it stirs Nathaniel's heart so that he recognizes Jesus for who he is. Now, probably Nathaniel is looking at Psalm 2 or thinking about Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, it's this messianic psalm in which uh, the anointed, the or the chosen one, the Messiah, is, is discussed. And in that psalm, it calls uh, this anointed one uh, the king of Zion, on Zion, and then it'll call him his son. And so probably Nathaniel is, as he proclaims that he's king of Israel and son of God, thinking through Psalm 2, which leads some people to think maybe he was meditating on Psalm 2 under that fig tree. But Nathaniel knows, okay, this is him. This is who we were waiting for. And he's, it's confirmed in his own heart. Apparently, Jesus was just as shocked about this response as others. So Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Okay, well, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This last, this last verse, uh, and you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending, this moves into the plural. So it moves away from just being to Philip and it moves to a plural you. And I think that what John is doing here is he's turning from Nathaniel and his experience and he's turning to us. And he's saying, get ready. You are about to see Heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You are about to see heaven and earth bridged by the Christ. Okay, and we are about to receive access to the Father, a relationship with the Father. That bridge is going to be made, and that's what you get to experience. That is what John 2 to 21 is going to be about, is the work of Christ as he begins to do that. And so John wants to invite us to begin to experience that. And so what he's doing is he's preparing us for 2 to 21. He's preparing us for the work that Jesus is is doing, and he's inviting us to participate, to follow me, to come and see. I think that John is going to do this in two ways. So if you look at this passage, there's two major things that really stand out. Um, John is preparing us to come and see by revealing who Jesus is. And then John is preparing us to come and see by revealing how these men responded to this invitation. The first thing 
who Jesus is, if you read through this chapter, one of the major things that, that should stand out to you is over and over, you see different names for Jesus. Over and over, you see these different, different titles for Jesus. So these are the ones that, that I saw in there. Jesus is called the Word. He's called the Light. He's called the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Rabbi, son of God, King of Israel, son of man. As John presents these names and these titles for Jesus, what he's doing is he's putting forth who Jesus is and this demands a response from us. You can't read through these names. You can't see who Jesus is and say, oh, that's neat, right? Because what he's saying is he's, he's not saying this is a good teacher. He's not saying this is a role model. He's saying this is someone who's come to change the world. This is someone who's come to change everything and he wants to change your life. Are you okay with that? He's saying this is someone who's presenting to us life true life, abundant, full life, eternal life. Do you want to receive this from him? Do you want your life changed? About, uh, six or seven years ago when I was in college ministry, I was announcing our perspectives class. And our perspectives class is this class that walks through um, what God is doing around the world and your role that you can play in it. And I'm announcing this to college students and, uh, and I get halfway through the announcement. I just said, hey, look, here's the deal. Everybody that I've ever talked to that has ever taken this class, after the class, they say one thing. Perspectives changed my life. Perspectives changed my life. And so if you want your life changed, take perspectives. And I just kind of left it at that and walked off. And uh, after the service, one student, one student came up. And he said, I'd like to take perspectives. And I said, why? He said, well, you told me it would change my life. Why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't I do that? And, and that's the question we have to ask with this invitation to come and see. Do we want our lives changed? And I think on the surface, the obvious answer is of course. Of course, but then when we begin to dig down into this, when we begin to think through what this actually means and what this actually looks like, we can become a little bit hesitant. It's because for many of us, we're content with the life we've built for ourselves. We're content with what's comfortable, what we can build up on our own. This is the American dream. The American dream says that you should work hard. And that if you work hard, you'll be successful. And if you're successful, then you can play hard and work hard, play hard, success. Those all sound great. And those sound like things I don't necessarily want to give up, but I want to hold tightly. But what God is coming and saying when he talks about abundant life in John 10, 10 and eternal life at the end of John 20 is that I have something better for you. I have something great for you that I want you to step into, that I'm inviting you to be a part of. But it means that we might have to give up control. And it means that we might have to sacrifice some of these things that we've built up for ourselves. But over and over, as we sang this morning, he is worthy of that. 
He is worthy of giving those things up. He's worthy of giving up control for him. These names show us that Jesus is worth those things, giving up those things. So my first question for you this morning is simply this. Do you believe Jesus is who he claims to be? Do you believe Jesus is who he claims to be? John has presented us all these different titles for Jesus. Do you believe it? That's the most important question we're gonna ask today. If you're not sure, don't just stay in that spot. Begin to ask people. Ask the people around you. Ask the leadership here at Midtown. If you are unsure, this is the first question you have to land on. If you do believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, are you willing to lay down what you've built for something better, for abundant life, for eternal life? When God says, come and see, when God says, follow me, this is what he is inviting us into. The second point that John is trying to make is uh, he prepares us to come and see by revealing how these men responded to the invitation. How these men responded to what God called them toward. So uh, these men, again, they had been preparing themselves for the Messiah. They had shown up and they had listened to John talk about someone greater who's coming. And what did they say? Hey, the guy that we were looking for, this is him. So clearly they've been anticipating this moment. They've been waiting for this. They've been longing for someone to come. As a matter of fact, for hundreds of years, the Jews had been waiting for the Messiah, and these people have been making themselves ready. These people, these guys have been preparing their hearts for Jesus to come so that when he showed up, they would be ready. When he showed up, they would be ready to follow. And so you see their responses to the invitation. Philip just turns and runs and grabs the next guy. He doesn't wait, he doesn't hesitate. And Nathaniel, as soon as he recognizes Jesus, that this is him, he's ready to go. They're ready when the opportunity presents itself. I was talking earlier about my engagement to Andrea. Uh, so a little bit about that actual moment. Again, I had framed it around Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day was on the Thursday. So I said, Monday we should go. Let's get dressed up nice and let's go out on Monday. And I totally surprised her, um, I think. But uh we went out that day, and I took her out to Bryson Park, which is on the other side of campus, and we had spent a lot of time at Bryson Park together on dates and that sort of thing, and so let's just go for a walk before dinner out on Bryson Park. And so we get out, and we start walking, and there's a bench there, and I left a letter uh, and a rose on that bench, and so we sat down on the bench, and she read through the letter, and it talked about all the things that I loved about her, and, uh, and in her mind, she's thinking, man... Marty went a lot further than I thought on this Valentine's Day date. And so then we get up from the bench and we start walking and there's a little bridge. And on the bridge, I had another letter and another rose. And in this letter, it walked through uh, all of the things that I had loved doing with her over our time dating. And now she's just starting to shamefully think about her 99 cents Valentine's card that's in her purse after I went through all this work for Valentine's Day. Uh, but we, we moved on from there, and we went under this big tree that's out there, and we, we stood under that tree, and under the tree, I had another note and another flower, and she starts reading this, and at this point, she starts to let her heart believe this might be more than Valentine's Day. 
right? She begins to think, this could be it. So finally, we leave that tree and we go to this fourth spot. And in this spot, I have another letter. And we read through the letter. And at the end of the letter, I get down on one knee. And I said a bunch of stuff that I don't remember. And I doubt she remembers it. But at the end of it, I know I said, Andrea, will you marry me? And immediately, her response was, yes, of course. Of course I do. There was no hesitation there. There was no counting the cost at that moment. Well, I don't know. It could be difficult, right? She had already prepared for this moment. She had prepared herself to say yes. She had prepared herself to accept the invitation to be my wife so that in this moment, she said, yes, of course I do. The disciples had set their lives around preparing for the Messiah. They had already counted the cost. They were ready for the moment. And here's the thing. God is at work. God is moving here in Bryan and College Station in Texas and around the world. He is doing amazing acts of reconciliation and redemption. And he is offering us an invitation to come and see He's offering us an invitation to follow me and be a part of this. He's offering an invitation to step into his great work and participate alongside of him, to participate with him in what he is doing. And this this isn't just one big grand invitation. It is a daily invitation to come and see. It's a daily invitation to participate. And so just like engagement, just like these disciples, these followers, how are we preparing our hearts to step into that invitation? How are we preparing our hearts to come and see on a daily basis so that when we go to work and we have a coworker that starts talking about what they're struggling with, we're prepared to enter into that and pray for them and invite them to church. When we walk outside and we see our neighbor doing whatever, we're prepared mowing. We can go over there and say, hey, why don't you enter into our sobra mesa? Here's what it looks like for us to find community. When you're in school and you have a classmate that's struggling, you can invite them into, and they say, maybe they'll say like, why are you different? Why doesn't this bother you? And say, it's because of Jesus. But how do we prepare for those moments? So I would encourage you in this. Spend time each morning asking the Lord to prepare your heart and your mind for what he has for you. Spend time each morning asking the Lord, prepare my eyes to see that person that you put in front of me. Prepare my ears to hear the needs that you're presenting me, the needs of the people that you've put around me. Prepare my heart to step out in courage, to step out in boldness, to talk about you, to share about you. The disciples were ready for the invitation to join in what God had set before them, to come and see, to follow him. Are you ready for those same invitations? As we we move forward, um, there's just a few other things I wanna look at as to how we can prepare. How do we prepare to come and see? The first is to read and to learn about what Jesus claims of himself. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be walking through the I am statements. In each of these statements, there's statements like, I am the good shepherd. 
I am the living water. I'm the bread of life. And these are promises to us. They're statements about who he is, but they're promises to us. And they're promises that say, if you follow me, it's worth it. You will find satisfaction in me. You will find purpose in me. You will find direction in me and in me alone. And so these promises point us to that abundant life. These promises of who Jesus is help us to be a part of the eternal life that he's offering us. So read and learn and study these words and pray over what it looks like for Jesus to be the living water, the bread of life, and what that means for us in our lives. Second, be in community that points you towards Jesus and the opportunity he presents to us. Be in community that's going to direct you towards the opportunity. It's gonna celebrate when God opens a door for you and you're able to share, you're able to invite, you're able to participate in what God is doing. Be in community that celebrates those moments, but be in community that's also going to push you and move you forward to be a part of what God's doing. Say, hey, what would it look like for you to invite that person to church? Let's pray for that person that they would ask you questions or that you would be able to have opportunities to open up. We need to be in community like that that is willing to uh, direct you towards the opportunities to come and see. And lastly, invite others to come along with you. Invite others to come along with you. This is what each of these people did. Andrew grabbed Peter and said, come on, we found him. Come on, we found him. Philip grabs Nathaniel, says, hey, this is him who we've been looking for. This is who we're waiting for. They recognize that Jesus is worthy. They recognize he's worth it. And they don't want to go alone. They want to bring everybody they can with them. So who is it that you're bringing along? Jesus is worthy. And he's asking us to invite others to come along and experience him alongside of us. And so this morning as we finish up, we're actually gonna have a video testimony um, from Philip and Katia. And this testimony is gonna show just that, that there were some that said, hey, come along, come and taste and see who he is. So here's the video. Здравствуйте, меня зовут Филипп, я интернациональный студент из России, и я приехал в Соединенные Штаты по программе Fulbrighter. Hi everyone, my name is Philip. I'm an international Fulbright student from Russia. I came to United States in 2021. I believe it was my second day in United States. When I first arrived, I didn't, uh, I had no connections. I had no uh, friends. I basically have no one here because my wife uh, couldn't arrive uh, at the same day with me. She, she's gonna, she was arriving only two months later. So the thing was that I sent a cry for help because I just felt alienated in this new world. And the, one of the first who respond was Neri uh, and OJ. They invited me to the dinner. It was a fourth day of being in the United States and they were uh, someone who could relate to my experience as being an international student, but also uh, relating to needing a connection to community. And uh, during our dinner, uh, while we shared, they asked me, hey, do you want to come to church uh, on Sunday? It's a fresh, new, open 
church in Midtown. And by the time I was in the United States, I didn't know what Midtown is. I was fourth day in the United States. But uh, I said yes, absolutely. Because uh, once again, it was uh, a call to connect with the community, the call for shelter for the sanctuary. And also it was uh, completely different from my background because one uh, Russia is mostly orthodox, so it was something new that called to me and I took this opportunity to become a uh, part of Midtown. I would say that time that I had here uh, with Midtown was uh, absolutely special for me because it's not only allowed me to see a different uh, world, but it's also reignited my passion to find uh, God within myself. And uh, I would say that I'm gonna miss a lot of things from the United States, uh, but I'm mostly gonna miss the people, the friendship and family I've found here in Midtown. Um, Grace Midtown became my family here in the United States and I'm really proud to see how it grow and how it's gonna grow in the upcoming years. What I love about that story is there's Philip who um, showed up here and he wasn't content with being alone. He said, I, I had this need, I needed help. And OJ and Neri were there and they were ready to invite him in. OJ and Neri were ready to participate in the work that God was doing in Philip and Katya's lives as they stepped here. Okay. God wants us to come alongside of him, to follow him and to be a part of what he's doing in the lives of the people here in this community and around the world. We need to be ready for that invitation. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you that you, um, first off, that you are worthy and that through Christ we um, have access to you. And through Christ, we are now able to be used by you for your glory. Lord, we um, want our hearts to be ready. We want our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you have for us. And so Lord, help us to know, how do we prepare? How do we prepare for this? And Father, I pray that this week, as we leave here, that you would do just that, that you would open our eyes and open our ears to see the people that you've put around us and that you would give us a boldness to invite them, to say, hey, we found the one in whom there's life, eternal life and abundant life. Come and see. Lord, we love you. We are thankful for this morning being able to worship you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.